how much of the uh, controversy do we want to bring up? Because you don't want to give too much exposure to the fact that, yeah, guys hate women, guys. So... Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. This is Kai. And today we're here to talk about Ghostbusters, because if you've been on the internet in the last several months to a year, you probably have caught wind of the fact that there's a lot of people that seem to hate this movie, even though it's not even out yet, which we'll get into a little bit. But before we get to Ghostbusters, we wanted to do a quick, quick thoughts on a couple other recent releases. We both saw... Um, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates and The Secret Life of Pets recently. Uh, the Secret Life of Pets, which released to, I believe it was like $100 million at the box office, which is a, which is the new record now beating out Pixar's Inside Out, which was, you know, the previous record holder, um, for, I guess, the highest grossing opening weekend for an original property. So, do you think, did you, you, I guess you just said this is Kai, but let's let's hear some more from Kai. She's being off, awfully shy today so far. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you. That's okay. I don't mind being interrupted. You you have no problem interrupting me when the mic's off, so. Hey, <laughs> wait a minute. Keep the gloves in the ring. No, just kidding. Um, well, we saw Mike and Dave need wedding dates and Finding Secret Life of Pets. Just said that. Right before they came out. And um, I guess to start with Secret Life of Pets, my... My opinion is I expected a lot more from this film. Um, I remember when the, the trailer came out, I think a year ago, like, like last June. Yeah, something like that. They were teasing it way in advance. Minions, I think I saw it. Min- oh, well, it's min- the same studio, so that right. makes sense. Yeah, and they had the cute the cute opener with all the, the animals and how they act behind the scenes. And then they did more trailers where it started looking like Toy Story. But uh, my opinion was just that I was disappointed. You know, I expected more out of this movie, and I, I don't think it delivered. I think it, I think it took a lot of components from Toy Story one, Toy Story two, and even Toy Story three, because um, there's a scene with a whole bunch of animals, uh, weird animals, scary animals that, that was reminiscent to me of Toy Story three. You're, you're talking about no, this is no, we're not going to get into spoilers really, but you're talking about in the alleyway. Yeah, oh, and, okay. and in the and in the well, see that reminds me more of Toy Story, the first one, where all those mutant toys at Sid's house were coming out supposedly to to attack Buzz Lightyear, but then was really you know repaired his arm. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. But, but basically, long story short, because we don't want to, we're just touching base on this one briefly. I, I wrote a review for CheatSheet.com on Secret Life of Pets, and my whole the whole crux of my my response was, yeah, it's basically like Toy Story, only with animals instead of toys. And pretty much that, I mean, they, it seems like the movie basically coasts on the idea that, oh, when people go to work, the animals are all, all up to crazy adventures. And uh, didn't really have a, as nearly as mu- enough heart uh, as stuff like Toy Story or, or even earlier this year, Zootopia and Finding Dory, which I, you know, I think are both far superior films. Um, it was a little spastic and over the top. And that's and, not fair because those are all Disney properties. Well, those so are better movies. I'm, so mo- I'm going by animated yeah, movies. Yeah, what does that tell us about animated films that are not Disney properties? Well, I mean, just even going with Illumination Entertainment, I felt I feel like both Despicable Me movies are way stronger than this one was as far as from a narrative perspective, from a character perspective, 
from a comedy perspective and from a you know a sentiment you know, like a heart perspective do you think that illuminations now just coasting do you think that, that they're getting a little too comfortable with their place with with the minions the fact that the minions made like over a billion dollars and there was multiple references to them in this movie and even a short film beforehand i feel like they're so focused on chasing the next big franchise for them and i guess this is going to be it since secret life of pets was so successful but i mean they're just not up to that level but then again look at you have the ice ages they have like ice age i don't know four four or five whatever coming out later this month and that's going well for them so clearly when it comes to kids movies quality doesn't really matter as much unfortunately i mean adult movies too you have you know transformers five on the way so it's uh yeah but i agree with you the the cleverness of the premise that was sort of uh revealed in that initial teaser trailer which is really just basically the first five minutes of the first like three minutes of the movie is is that teaser trailer right um didn't really beyond that it didn't it didn't really work for me it, i kind of honestly i was sort of sort of losing my interest periodically throughout there there's a lot of it's only 90 minutes and i feel like there's a lot of filler i will say that the voice acting was good and is it actually even i thought it was 80 minutes no no i think on imdb it's it's like an hour and 30 minutes oh. um i will say that the voice acting was pretty strong across the board uh, i i particularly like jenny slate as gidget i thought she was the standout and uh, the animation was was strong, and the visually it was it was uh, you know worked on a spectacle level, but just narratively I just didn't really care about any of the characters, and the story wasn't particularly engaging or or original or creative. So it's a little disappointing that that's now the highest opening weekend for an original film since it's not really that good of one, and since Inside Out is so far superior in essentially every way. So Zootopia is not an original. Yeah, but it didn't make as much money as this one. That's did. a surprise to me. I know, because Zootopia, I was very excited about that too, and I love Flash, and I love and I loved Zootopia in every in every way. So that is a surprise. I think the marketing campaign for Secret Life of Pets was really strong. Like I think everybody responded, like you did, to that first teaser trailer. Plus, like, oh my god, plus this looks it's so a cute. summer movie. Well, yeah, and that, summer movies are usually stronger anyway. Yeah, it's true. Zootopia was what March. March. Yeah. Yeah. And, so. Um, and, and even it, Civil War. I mean, well, Civil War was May, so I guess that was the start of the... Yeah, no, Disney's been on, a like, every month, like, a giant movie's coming out. And most of them, with the exception of Alice Through the Looking Glass, have been really successful. Um, Finding Dory actually just, like, usurped Captain America Civil War as the highest grossing movie of the year domestically. So, of the, like, the top five, of the top five highest grossing movies this year, f I think four of them are Disney. Yeah, well, that's going to be pretty, probably par for course for the next... Well, I mean, with Star years. Rogue One will probably might be up there too, so it might push out. I think whatever it is, Deadpool or something, that's up there. Um, so that's Secret Life of Pets, decent movie, not you know, not bad. Um, if you have little kids, they'll they'll sure enjoy it. But I mean, if you're looking for anything other than like a way to kill an hour and a half at the movies and you know keep your kids entertained, I don't really think you're gonna find a lot of uh, replay value in it. So I guess be careful that your kids don't fall super in love with the film because you might end up watching it like 20 times a day. It's not one of those like Finding Nemo or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of something that's not Pixar so I could show a little more well-roundedness or like sometimes some of the uh, Leica Studios ones or Leica. I always forget how to say that. It's Leica or Leica. I'll say Leica, um, which is the Paranorman box trolls. I feel like they're like that's a non-Pixar entity that is actually doing really consistent work. And they have a film coming out next month called Kubo and the Two Strings that I'm really looking forward to. Um, so that's our thoughts on Secret Life of Pets. 
you know, take it as you will, but we're sort of giving it kind of an average. Uh, I gave it a three out of five on CheatSheet.com. So if you want to check out my review, you can search for it over there. So shifting over to a very different movie, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. What did you think about this and what were your expectations going in? Because I actually saw the trailer with another movie and then showed it to you. I was like, look at this crazy movie. I, it looked. It's very much a guy movie. Yes. It's, well, is or is it? Because, I mean, it's balanced. The four leads, two females, two two males. So I feel like it's more of a guy. Uh, it's more of a, it's a, it's a I'm not, I shouldn't say guy because that's sexist. And we're talking in the Ghostbusters episode. Saying something's a guy movie is probably not the best way to go. But it is definitely that crass sense of humor that typically the studio system sees as appealing more to males. I guess I should say it that way. Um, When I first saw the trick. When you first showed me the trailer, yeah, I did think I was not going to like this movie because it just looked like it was going to be a uh, crest. Plus, you also showed me the Red Band trailer. Well, of course. That's so the you didn't show ahead. me any of the tame stuff you see in an actual trailer. You showed me all the gross stuff. Well, so, that's more fun. Yeah. The so, push pop gag made me laugh. Yeah. Lot. So and I was like, what? So I didn't know how to respond to this. And I, I don't feel like I was as excited to go to see this movie as I was about The Secret Life of Pets. Um, but it's hard to say. I actually may have liked Mike and Dave need wedding dates more. Um, I think I, I think in my, I, I gave it a three in my own mind because I don't do reviews. But um, well, you, you're on Letterboxd. I am on Letterboxd. as am I, so you can find out both of us on there. Yeah. Um, I actually know. I think I got Secret your life of pets a higher rating, but um, there was just parts like I don't know. I felt like Aubrey Plaza. She handed up for the camera a lot more than the other three leads. And I could just tell that she was acting. That's funny that you say that because I feel like most of the reviews that I've seen, actually Aubrey Plaza gets singled out as the best one in the movie. I don't know what they're talking about. She's <laughs> like, not terrible. She's not terrible at all. Like the acting's great on her, but I just it it just appeared to me that she was acting. Right, right. I guess. I mean, well, she's in a movie, so that makes sense. But uh, I actually thought Aubrey Plaza and Adam Devine were were uh the standouts from that movie i thought they played off well played off each other particularly well anna kendrick was sort of doing like a more edgy version of her like adorkable thing from uh pitch perfect and zach efron and so it seemed like he was sort of kind of playing the same character he did in neighbors and neighbors too but he was definitely a straight man like when well, he... but, but he's not he's not particularly wacky in neighbors either i right. mean i didn't think so right was that seth rogan you think there was a wacky one? I don't know who. There was nobody that was necessarily wacky. Rose was the, Byrne was the wacky one. It was the conflict between the, the two sides that where the wackiness came from. If anybody in those movies, in the Neighbors films, and now we're getting off topic, but if anybody in the Neighbors films really like, goes way over the top, it's probably Ike Barinholtz. And I told you about Neighbors 2, which you haven't seen, that he's like he has some of the like more outlandish moments in that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mike and Dave need wedding dates. I, c- comedies are tricky for me. And I actually think that Neighbors 2, which I just mentioned, Popstar, which I mentioned last time, and actually The Nice Guys, which is more of an action comedy. I feel like those are all probably the strongest comedies this year. I know a lot of people didn't really care for Neighbors 2, but I thought it was a slight improvement over the first one. And this one wasn't quite up to that level. Um, but I'm not usually into the the uh, gross-out like sexual humor. And this had a lot of that. Some of it worked for me and some of it didn't. So in that way, it's sort of a mixed bag. But I think it's worth seeing for the cast. And uh, and the performances and it did have it did I think the story did come together towards the end a lot more than a lot of films of this of this ilk I guess did you would you agree with that? Um, you mean like the the I mean like the, the theme of the the theme of the movie? Yeah, the story. 
Yeah. Like the way it all tied together and the way, you know, the characters grew or not grew. And yeah. And what they learned about yeah. themselves. It, like, it was know, interesting that all four the of resolution. them had an arch. And had an arc. Yeah. And um, it was all kind of in the same spot, which is ownership. Right. Accountability. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I guess it's basically the, the premise is that it starts out with the two guys and the two girls being painted as like total opposites to the point that, and I think maybe the guys see some of themselves in these girls. So it's sort of like coming to grips with, you you know, you who you are and your place in, in you know, in, in That's the true. world and kind of that. being like, wait a minute. Am I just as crazy as these people? Because, you know, it starts out with them them thinking that the girls are respectable. Respectable as fuck. And then uh, it turns out that they're actually, you know, they're all sort of on the same level in a lot of ways. Um, so we would, I'd say that's a my own Actually, the only difference between the, 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 um, the two brothers and the two friends is you have, you know, Mike and Dave. It, no one ever really came out and said this, but it looked like they came from money. Um, you know, they're going, there's the wedding in Hawaii. Well, who pays, who, I forget, who pays, who's supposed to pay for the wedding? The brides. The bride's family? Bride's family. If they, if they follow that tradition. I guess. I don't, yeah. They didn't, they never made it clear who had, like, who was funding that extravagant, like, Hawaiian wedding. But it looked like that Mike and Dave came from money because they were like. All their family events are really out there. Yeah. And they're slackers. They're just like living in this bachelor pad. Yeah. Anything. Probably selling their liquor. Yeah. That's not, not, obviously none of these are spoilers, but. And so then you have the friends that, you know, they're pretty much look like they, they, they're broke and they steal cab rides and stuff. And, um, but then you realize that even though one, two come from a rich background and others come from a not more low income they are more. They are very similar. So I thought that was an interesting contrast. Yeah, yeah. They're all uh, they're all not so different after all. I would say. Um, so I would say for both of these movies, sort of a mild mec- recommendation. I gave. I actually reviewed Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates over at WeGotThisCovered.com because I'm everywhere, guys. And um, I also gave it three out of five. So I feel like they're both, like they're both entertaining, but in, like in a disposable way. You know what I mean? Like you could watch both of them and be like. That was good, I guess. And then sort of shrug it off and be like, oh, did I see that? One of those kinds of movies. Yeah. yeah the I kind of movie that. that, like, you're not going to, like, buy on Blu-ray and and uh, cherish, you know, show all your friends. But if you're flipping around on TV and it's on Comedy Central or TNT or something, be like, oh, okay, we'll leave this on. This is decent. It's more, those are, they're both, like, in that category for me. I don't even think people click around on TNT anymore. Like, I feel like that's a pass, that's like a... Kind of an outdated reference. Well, yeah, like whenever the TBS I look on classics. T- yeah, whenever I go on TNT, it's always playing Law and Order. <laughs> that's that's a good point. It, it so, really are, or Bones or something. Yeah, really. I'm like, okay, I'm bored, and then I <laughs> click to TBS, which usually has something fun. So, unless you've been living under a rock the last several months, you probably heard that there's a new Ghostbusters movie coming out, and uh, much to the chagrin of a certain segment of the population. They're not too happy with either A, the idea that a Ghostbusters reboot is happening, or I guess happened, or B, that it stars four women in the lead. So what do you what do you kind of make of this whole situation? Do you think it's just people pissed off that they're redoing Ghostbusters at all? Or do you think that it's just people being like, ooh, this is a boys club, girl, no girls allowed, that kind of thing? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And I actually kind of think that it's, that some of the, People that are saying that it's not a female issue, even some women themselves, I think they're doing a cover up by saying, oh, how dare you reboot Ghostbusters? It's my, you know, how dare you do that? But it's also 
nobody seemed to have an issue when Mad Max was rebooted. Yeah, and but they that, had three they but, had three Mad Max movies in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, but this that wasn't a reboot. That was a sequel. More, I would say that's more of it. I would say Fury Road is more of a sequel because it doesn't it doesn't explicitly state that those things never happened. We're starting fresh. This movie's like, yeah, there was never ghosts before. Oh, we're gonna come up with this thing. What if we call ourselves uh, Ghostbusters? All right, so that's never been done. So what's the difference between a reboot and a sequel or a remake? A remake to me, we've talked about this a million times, know, but are you just trying to prompt me on the podcast? Yes, I am. A remake to me is when you're retelling a single story over again, same characters, same, you know, like you, if you did, if you made a Casablanca movie, and this is always the example I go to, you would have to have the same characters, a similar story. There's no world to to reboot. In, in my mind, a reboot is more for a franchise. So if you have like... So in this case, if you have the, okay, there's a concept and there's people that wear these backpacks and they shoot these beams at ghosts, you can reboot that with different characters and a new world and then expand it from that point. If they had had, you know. That sounds like Mad Max. That's a reboot. No, they never, they, there's nothing in there that contradicts it. First, you plus you haven't even seen Mad Max movies, so. Well, yeah. So what is, how do you. Well, how is it a. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, well, okay. Well, you, you were about to answer. What's the difference? between a reboot and a sequel i already said oh a sequel yes a sequel is a continuation of the same story so so how is ghostbusters 2 ghostbusters a sequel and mad max's jury road is also a sequel it could be viewed as a sequel slash reboot but it's not necessarily a pure reboot because it's never stated in there this guy how did he get to this place he's just in this place he wasn't always mad max he was a, a cop and there was a whole story in the first film with that okay that makes sense what about Total Recall? Is that a remake or a reboot? That was a reboot. Same characters, similar story, only much more terrible the second time. I don't know. It kind of sounds like it's a remake. Okay. Anyway, I totally... what Ghostbusters? No, Total Recall. It's it's a it's a re. Um, I get. I mean, or are these terms being used interchangeably? It depends. Sometimes a remake can feed into an extended universe that's built from the same place i don't know i don't feel like they are exactly the same even though yeah they are they are used interchangeably in media all the time um and that kind of bums me out so i would say in this case this is clearly a reboot because there was a pre-existing franchise and mythology for this property there were you know there was a ghostbusters there were a couple ghostbusters animated series there's been comic books there's a video game there's two films there's a lot of stuff to draw upon and this movie says yeah no fuck that we're gonna start from scratch What's also with this being a reboot and people saying, "Oh, this is my childhood ruined." I don't think that people this was. People say I don't that about everything, was, though. Well, and that's it's, yeah, that's the other problem. Well, I was, the, what I was going to say is that this this reboot and a lot of reboots aren't made for the pre- previous um, generations, even though we are all into nostalgia right now. It's made I was for say the, that too. It's made for the future generation. This is this Ghostbusters movie is going to be the Ghostbusters movie of of children, the children right now. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the totally. teenagers right now. That's what they're going to remember. Like, who, how many kids, you know, 20 somethings think of the Colin Farrell Total Recall? I go back to this movie, Colin Farrell Total Recall as the actual Total Recall. I don't think anybody thinks of that as anything, hopefully, because it's a terrible film and it needs to be ignored. Or same thing with the Robocop that came out, too. Okay. I actually did like the new Robocop, but maybe, you know, maybe the whole point here is, I, I don't know. I, most reboots don't really bother me that much. For some reason, because it, you know, all these people are talking about, oh, my childhood's ruined. It's like, you still have those DVDs. You still have those Blu-rays. They're not going anywhere. If you see a new movie and you hate it, then be like, Psh, this I can't believe they made this crap. And then go back home, go home and watch the same one you already have. Yeah, I just think that there people are disguising 
the fact that they're just so appalled that they rebooted Ghostbusters or beloved Ghostbusters. I, to disguise the fact that, yeah, I think it's also about the women being leads because there have been some nasty comments online about Ghostbusters with four, four um, women instead of men. And it's getting people in, a, in an uproar. Well, people nowadays just like to get in an uproar about anything. But I was thinking about this the other day, and I think there's actually a sort of an X factor when it comes to the Ghostbusters franchise. Because you know how a lot of these movies, they'll just announce, oh, we're doing a remake, and then it'll happen a couple years later, and then boom, it's out, and that's the end of it. With Ghostbusters, they've been there's been a, a Ghostbusters 3 in development for, I don't know, 20 years or something, in some form. Where, I guess they realized it wasn't going to happen. Well, I mean, we'll get I'll, I'll mention that in a second, but... You know, it's for so many years, Ghostbusters fans, and that movie meant a lot to a lot of people, including me. I had, you know, the firehouse. I had all the toys. I watched the show. Plus, you now got the extra cooler in the fridge. Yeah, I had the proton pack and all that stuff. Um, so, I mean, I understand people that are like, Ghostbusters was important to my, my, my childhood and my life. So I, and I get that. But I think they've had the, like, the, the carrot of Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 3 dangled in front of them for so many years that, for it, for that not only not to happen, but to just be, you know, to, that whole franchise to be totally dashed in favor of a fresh start. I think that really pissed some people off. Um, in addition to, you know, maybe maybe there is some sexism involved, but it, except for a probably a minority group of that that is just like really, and I mean minority group as in a smaller group of people in the pop in the fan base, not minority like black people really hate Ghostbusters. <laughs> so um, I think. For a lot of people, that might even be subconscious. Like, it's like, I don't know why this really bothers me, but it very upsets me because it's not, you know, because they are taking such a radical shift with it. So yeah. do you think that maybe that long development process for Ghostbusters 3 that never happened and we kept hearing about Bill Murray shredded up the script and sent it to Dan Aykroyd and was like, nobody wants to see a bunch of fat Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. And I mean, clearly this this franchise means so much to Dan Aykroyd. And well, because he gets right paid if he produces it. I mean, that's bottom, bottom line it. And it's Ivan Reitman is the one that did the original Ghostbusters. Directed right? the first two, okay, yeah. Because I, I just want to make sure I don't get confused with his son. Um, no, his, it, fun, his son is way too young for that, right? But Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman, this franchise means so much to the both of them that I think it was also their own, like their own desire to bring this back to the big screen in any way that they could. And the fact that those two men <laughs> and the director, who's a man, brought it to the big screen with four. With four um, very funny ladies goes to show, you know, they're definitely for progress and they were, you know, and they were fine with and they wanted that type of change. So shouldn't we be supportive of that as an audience that even even men behind the scenes who had the greatest power to bring this movie alive wanted that to be the case? Yeah, see, this is why I wanted to make sure you were on this podcast to provide the ladies perspective on some of this. Good. Um yeah, I mean, no, I agree with you. And I, my whole problem with this movie going in, and we're sort of building up to our, our general reaction of the film, and then we'll break it down a little more from there. But my whole problem with this was the marketing wasn't particularly strong. The trailers weren't very funny to me. Um, and I, I didn't really have much of a uh, much exposure to Kate McKinnon or Leslie Jones prior to this. So I was just going and being like, all right, well, the guy that did Bridesmaids and the two major stars for Bridesmaids... I guess it's bridesmaids with ghosts, but, uh, you know, I knew that they weren't going to go for such a uh, hard R rating and that kind of gross out humor because Ghostbusters is inherently a fra- uh, family friendly franchise. So, you know, I've kind of talked a little bit about how much Ghostbusters meant to me and how much I love that franchise. So where were you coming from going into this movie? Um, I, I agree with you. I think the marketing was 
well, at least the first trailer was pretty bad. I was confused and I heard, so was Melissa McCarthy, on why they showed the Ghostbusters from, you know, 1984 to then saying 30 years later. And it makes you think they're part of the same, the same time frame. But then when they're starting to introduce the paranormal and the original Ghostbusters had nothing to do with this one, it's confusing. And then the trailers kind of started to um, streamline a little bit more and made it look a little bit more funny. But I think they just didn't use very good jokes either in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. It made well, it look like it was I think that's stupid. that's a that's a flaw that a lot of Paul Feig's movies have. If you watch the trailer for Spy or The Heat or even Bridesmaids, like those those trailers aren't particularly funny. Um, like Spy, it makes it look like Melissa McCarthy's making fun of her weight all the time. And yeah, she yeah. Actually, barely does. I don't know. I don't. I, there's something about his sense of humor that I don't. I don't think studios really know how to market. You know, um, and with those other films, I just assumed it was because well, it's R-rated content, so. You know, they don't want to show, like, the really, you know, gross out or, like, crass humor because it's going to have F-bombs all over the place. But with Ghostbusters, you knew that wasn't the case. So I was like, well, what's going on? Is it just not funny or what? Um, but, I mean, I was a fan of those three movies that, you know, that we just mentioned. So I, I, I kind of went into this with a little bit of, you know, cautious optimism, um, especially being such a huge, Ghost, huge Ghostbusters fan. I don't understand these people that love something so much that they want to see the new version suck so badly. I don't understand that mindset. Yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. Th- that's really stupid. Um, and I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen this been, uh, in, you know, embrace the past and move forward from that sort of like Creed or Force Awakens where they, they sort of dust off this this program that's been in like, like collecting mothballs for 20 plus years. And they're like, you know, we could do this, blah, blah, blah. And then it would have had a cool meta commentary about women taking, taking you know, Taking stuff and and uh, taking a project and building on it on their own, proving that they could do it just as well as men, or that sort of the subtext going on, right? Which I guess is sort of there because we all know that the originals had men, but I mean they could have made that more literal, which would have been an interesting twist on it, right? Well, especially since they kept calling back the original Ghostbusters over. Oh, oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. For now, just you know, let the people know what is your. What were your thoughts on the first two movies before this? Like, were you a huge Ghostbusters fan? Were you like, I don't care about this at I, all? I mean, I liked Ghostbusters okay. Um, I didn't see the first one until you actually showed it to me. I know. Blasphemy. I know um, the Ghostbusters I grew up on was Ghostbusters 2, which I'm finding out now everybody thinks Ghostbusters 2 is terrible. But that's the one I grew up on. Um, that's the one I watched at my friend's house. And that's the one I liked and scared me when I was younger. So... So Vigo the Carpathian did it to you? Yeah, he like, did. Ah. He was creepy. Yeah, he was creepy. So that's the Ghostbusters that I know. And I you know, I liked him okay. I thought they were really fun characters. But no, I didn't have the same connection to them that you right. did. So you were going you had a little bit more of a um objective viewpoint going into this one. I mean, it was hard it was hard well, to Well, minus all the controversy that yeah, you heard was, about. I, I mean, was yeah. thinking I, you I thought, thought it was gonna be terrible gonna be, too. I kinda did, yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to think negatively, but I, I'm i also not a movie critic like you are. So, you know, as a film Well, you're critic, on a podcast, so yeah. technically you are. Right. Well, as a film critic for you, this is what you, this is what you actually do. Sort of. Um, you, you, you know, you don't want to go into a movie. Things going to suck. You want to think every movie is going to be great. Right. Or else why spend your, why spend an hour and a half to two hours, sometimes longer than that, to, you know, to watch a movie? Yeah. I mean, you try and go in just clear your mind of all everything you've heard and just let the movie wash over you and sometimes it's really great and sometimes it's not so much and on the next episode i'm actually going to get into some of my you know best and worst of the year up to this point um but i mean generally speaking what did you think of the movie like we'll go broad broad view 
of, you know, did we like it or not like it? And then we'll get into more specifics. I liked it. I, I mean, I didn't, it wasn't the best movie of the year to me, but it definitely was not as bad as critics made it sound. But I, I liked it. I, th- I thought it was really fun. And I was, I felt inspired watching those women kick ass. Like it was, it was awesome. And I thought the, I thought the ghosts were fun and actually it's more scary than the first Ghostbusters and the second Ghostbusters. And I know it was CGI, but we've, technology's come a long way in 30 years. So, um, that the CGI was fine. And, oh, uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I actually like it. And I had, a, I had on my notes to talk about this later, but I'll just, you know, throw it out there now. I actually liked it better than Ghostbusters 2. Uh, I, I don't think it lives up to the original one. I think that in a lot of ways that had, that script is a little, is a lot sharper. The jokes land more often. The narrative and the, um, I don't know, the characters are more, more, uh, defined. That kind of thing. I do feel, and we were talking about this the other day, I do feel that, uh, Paul Feig's sort of style of comedy, which does work on, uh, you know, throughout, sort of, sort of makes a disjoint throughout some of the plot developments. And we can, you can, you know, we can get into that in a second. But I mean, for the most part, I, I would probably give this a 3.5 out of 5. In fact, I already did on Letterboxd. So we are both on Letterboxd, by the way. Yes, we are. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd and see our ratings on movies. Um, so, I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I was not, it's not going to make my top 10 of the year, but it's, you know, it's a vast improvement over something like Independence Day Resurgence, which was a total bore shit show. Um, but you know, just going into a little more specifics, since there's such a a vocal contingent, you know, rallying against this movie, I figured let's just start with the negative stuff and get that out of the way first. So I was talking about the trailers earlier, and I do feel like the worst jokes were probably in the trailers, like the, uh, get out of my friend ghost and like the possession scene there and like uh kate mckinnon with the wig was it the wig or the hat and some of that i feel like some of the lamest jokes were actually the ones in the trailers um would you agree with that i would yes yes okay but but the thing is though i don't even know if i actually thought the movie was funny per se it was funny in like a smiley way not in a like yeah i don't think it wasn't as outrageous it wasn't as outrageous Right. Let me take a second and this. It wasn't as outrageous as, uh, you know, Mike and Dave need wedding dates, which we were talking about earlier. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of, it's, it's not supposed to be a straight out comedy. It's supposed to, it's a comedy, horror, sci-fi, action, whatever. It's a blender of multiple genres. That's yeah. what Ghostbusters has always been. I mean, the first one was more comedy and less action. I feel like this, this movie actually balanced it out a little bit more between there's some thrilling sequences and, uh, you know, and comedic ones as well. Um, but I mean, I will say going in the first 10 to 15 minutes were a little slow just to get into it as I was sort of letting the, uh, letting all the controversy sort of slip to the background. And that opening scene with the guy, the tour guide at the, oh, we should say spoilers. Shit, I forgot to say that up front. We should say spoilers for Ghostbusters from this point on. Um, but I, the opening scene with the tour guide at the, you know, that manor, Mansion. Or mansion or wherever he was at uh that didn't really that was really lame i didn't really find any of the stuff he was saying very funny and the humor was so over the top that that i felt kind of desperate where he's saying like oh this is where pt barnum sat and came up with the idea to enslave elephants i'm like okay i get you're making a little social commentary joke there maybe but it was, it that was improv but that, that, that wasn't funny it no. wasn't funny it was fell really flat and i was like i was sort of 
already kind of on guard and, and thinking, oh man, that this is how the comedy is going to be. This is going to be rough to well, get through. Didn't you didn't think the part with the the stairs was scary? Yeah, the last moment, the uh, scream and the which kind of called to mind a little bit of the first movie where the ghost showed up there. Uh, but other than that, I mean, that opening sequence was sort of hard for me. What about you? What did you, what are your kind of some of your? Um, I think uh, yeah, I think the jokes were kind of lame, but it was just the opener. But I was a little, I was a little scared on what was happening. Yeah, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, this goes. But um, so so the last minute or so, right before the credits started rolling, it kind of actually creeped me out a little bit. I'll say it. Okay. So I will say that we were talking about the sexist controversy around this and i did think i mean it's funny that everybody was so pissed off about you know the way they were changing things and social commentary behind like the switch on the reboot making it all women and all that but i will say that the fact that the move the movie was as you were saying earlier trying to be progressive the fact that they took the one black character and made her an mta worker who's not a scientist who's loud and borderline obnoxious at times i felt that was really a step backwards i don't know why they couldn't have made you know made Leslie Jones, a, a, you know, given her a little bit of a meteor part to deal with as opposed to like, oh, I saw some shit, guys. I'm part of the club. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with you. So, and they they didn't have to do exactly the same thing from the first movie where they have, you know, three men, three white men and then one black man. They didn't have to do. just what, And just and just gender just, swap. Yeah, the exact basically. same race, demo, um, the, the exact same white black, like, you know, race balance. Right, but the thing is, though, that we, you know, we kept trying. At least I did kept trying to see what personalities fit with the, the, um, the male Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, I was do try, it. I'm, I'm glad to do it. That made me happy, though. They didn't do like a clear, uh, you know, Kate McKinnon is the Bill Murray, and then Kristen Wiig is the Egon, and you know, they didn't do any of that stuff. Yeah, so they were all their own personalities, and I think that all the actresses made those characters kind of like themselves a little bit yeah uh, more well developed um than i mean than a lot of people were expecting uh and you know we'll get into that when we get into more of the positive stuff down the line but what did you how did you feel about the uh, the villain and the the actor who played him and all that oh he was i mean i thought he was boring i mean i think he was trying too hard to play it creepy and yeah it just didn't really do it for me yeah, because um, his scheme about, you know, setting these devices throughout the city to awaken the dead, essentially, and kind of, like, incite an apocalypse, I thought that was... Yeah, I thought, I thought that, that was, was That was kind of interesting, but his motivations behind doing it was like, oh, people picked on me in school, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I'm gonna rule the ghosts. Yeah, so I'm gonna, like, take over the ghosts, I guess, and then his, his little uh, ranting notebook and all that. And I didn't understand why he was, like, the only ghost that could change changed forms the way that he did yeah yet none of the other ghosts seemed like they had enough brains or ghost power yeah to do that. but then again this is the thing that some people don't realize and I, t- I told you this off air before but people that'll criticize this movie being like oh the, the mythology doesn't make sense these ghosts just whatever blah 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 i'm like the mythology of ghostbusters has never made sense sigourney weaver had like had portal to another dimension in her refrigerator and then in the second one is in her bathtub her bathtub like attacked i mean none of it's not supposed to make sense it's a comedy which crazy shit happening and they make jokes about it that's what it is it's not like star wars where everything's gonna map be mapped out they're gonna write a bazillion novels explaining it all it's just supernatural phenomena that it just happens and isn't necessarily explained or grounded in so any kind of reality yes exactly yeah totally so it's not even so it's not really necessarily 
it's, it's sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, yeah, and and horror. It's it's a, that's what I mean. It's a blender of different genres. Wow, wonder what drugs they were doing on 1984. Um, 1984, then just the 80s, cocaine in the 80s. No? Yeah, I guess yeah. a lot of that. Well, wasn't that the whole thing, to tangent for a second, but wasn't that the whole thing, like, in the 80s, like, that, you know, you'd see, like, all these reports of the receipts of, like, the, sh- um, the Blues Brothers set, and it was, like, all these, all the cocaine that they spent money on and shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, that movie was Blues Brothers well, with was Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, exactly. So that explains that. But honestly, I feel like the biggest, uh, the biggest issue with this movie was that there was just too much nostalgia. Which is ironic, because everybody's like, don't fuck with my Ghostbusters, I want the old Ghostbusters back. But then by injecting so much of the old Ghostbusters into this movie, it became kind of distracting. Right, because the movie wasn't able to stand on its own as much. Well, yeah, because every every two seconds, you know, the the four ladies are having their, you know, they're having chemistry, and then, and uh, you know, the plot is moving forward, and things are looking good, and then they're like, oh, here's Bill Murray for some reason. Oh, here's Dan Aykroyd for some reason. So was your thing more the cameos? Compared well, to them with the logo and with the car. I thought those were more like subtly in. Eh, I don't know how subtle they were. They were pretty Well, they obvious, were like, but well, they wanted to keep, they wanted to keep they the were, spirit alive. They were cheesy. Like the logo scene in the subway station was really cheesy. But having seen the trailer, you knew where it was going. And you were like, oh, but then they're like, no, no ghosts. And the guy like crosses it out. I was like, oh shit, I know exactly where this is going. That I actually thought was really cute. I didn't have an issue with that moment. Um, I will say that the, the the car showing up being named Ecto One without really I don't think any mention of ectoplasm in this movie which is the whole point of where they come up with Ecto that was a little weird um, the firehouse that they tease early on and they check it out and and you know they're all ready to move in sort of like the first one when Dan, Dan Aykroyd slides down the pole and he's like this place is great we're going to move in that kind of thing again all excited ready to go get his stuff and then in this movie having a similar scene and Kristen Wiig is talking to the uh the agent who actually who actually you pointed out to me is uh what is her name Katie Katie Dippold the co-screenwriter with Paul Feig so that was kind of an interesting little cameo and then her telling Kristen Wiig that the rent is like $21,000 a month or something and then cut you like cut you know smash cut to them being having this new space above a Chinese restaurant. I thought that was funny, and I thought that worked. I mean, like, sort of making it a little more realistic. Like, yeah, they, they can't afford this. They got no money. They, they just got laid off, or, you and know? Like, yeah, that reminds me. So what was uh, Kevin being paid with? I, I don't know. He's dumb enough you probably could have paid him in, like, you know, French, French fries or something. Yeah. Um, we'll get to him in a second. But just for the for the main... Yeah, for the main thrust of the movie, to be so bogged down by so much of these... So many of these callbacks... Was a little a little much, I feel, and I know you liked the Stay Puffed one. I did. That was okay. I don't have that one. Sort of in the middle ground for me. It didn't bother me, but it wasn't like it didn't like excite me or anything either. And I, I the cameos really annoyed the hell out of me. The, that was the most annoying one, especially yeah. since, since I heard about all of them coming, and so I, I you know I expected most of them to happen by a certain point in the movie and then the like Sigourney Weaver will happened in the mid credit scene, which really seemed out of nowhere. And I was just like, I don't know what this, why, why is that there? What do I care about that scene? I, th- I guess because it was important to Dan Aykroyd and I, I mean, I, they, they put, they put them in there. And I guess wasn't Bill Murray like a holdup for the cameos. I don't know if he was point? a holdup for the cameos. He was a holdup as far as I think for the rights issues or something at one point, maybe. Um, but his was the most pointless of all. It was most extended, and it was the most, like, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, because he plays, obviously, hopefully if you're listening to this, you've already seen the movie. Um, but he plays a skeptic, sort of a, a you know famous ghost debunker. 
and he shows up there at their place just sort of demanding proof. Kristen Wiig, of course, opens up one of the traps and it flies out and killing Bill Murray's character. And then that just, they just forget that ever happened. And you mentioned that to me yesterday that it just like, there's no, follow, oh, well. there's no follow through. Like, right. You know, at first um, with that scene, you have, um, you know, Kristen Wiig's character and Melissa McCarthy's character arguing back and forth about why that trap should or should not be opened. And it was finally settled. Okay. Kristen Wiig's character wasn't going to open up the trap, but then she did anyway, because she really wanted to impress Bill Murray's cameo person, and then the beast, the ghost escapes. It was never mentioned again. Like, Melissa McCarthy's character, no one lectured her, Kristen Wiig about it or anything. It was just, it was over, forgotten. And then, and I think that kind of goes back to my issue with the cameos, is that they did feel sort of forced in there, because like, all right, well, we need to create a role for this person from the originals who wants to be in it. The only one that felt natural, okay, the only two that felt natural to me where Annie Potts, especially since she was on the phone, and she said, what do you want? Just like she did in the Ghostbusters, the first one. That was great. And then Ernie Hudson showing up as Leslie Jones' uncle, which, again, it was also a little weird. It's like, okay, well, two only... We had a black person from the new one and a token black person from the old one. It's like, oh, they're related because black people, all black people are related, right? I thought right. that was a little weird. Right. And it's you like you that... couldn't give him another role, maybe switch something. I don't know. I don't know why Leslie Jones didn't even say something like this to... To Paul Feig. I think she would have probably was probably just happy to be in a movie because as far as I'm concerned, she's never. I mean, she's been. She was in Top Five and some other movies. Oh, I, I don't even remember what she. I did. don't remember her. I don't remember that movie very well either. That was it was a decent movie though. Rosario Dawson. Um, but this is definitely the highest profile movie she's ever been in for sure. Oh yes. And Kate McKinnon, which we'll get into in a second. But um, the firehouse thing, like the fact that they went back to that by the end. By the end of the movie, they end up in the firehouse anyway. I. I wish I wish they hadn't done that because I sort of like the idea of this one sort of forging its own path and right. not being like, all right, we're going to get the car. Mike, sorry, Mike issue. We're going to get the car. We're going to get the, uh, the the same headquarters as the original Ghostbusters because that's what you guys want to see, right? And that, that kind of bugged me. I think it bugged you a little bit more than me. Well, because I have likewise. They already were doing everything like the original Ghostbusters. Yeah, but so they were why going. Off, they were going off off the track a little bit. They, you know, I was going to mention later, but we'll do do it now uh, about the gadgets and some of that, some of the new weapons they had. They were sort of developing, like using the original Ghostbusters as a starting point, and then and then developing it out from there as far as the technology, as far as the location. Because, like I said, they saw the firehouse and they were like, "Yeah, we can afford this," and moved on. So the fact that the movie doubled back and just had them in the firehouse anyway was a little disappointing. Um, but, you, you know, we were talking earlier off air about Chris Hemsworth's character of Kevin and about how so the movie has been accused of, of sexism, but it's funny how it actually does have some sexism in it. Right. But flip the other way where the, like, the token blonde bimbo just happens to be a man as opposed to, you know, in other movies like this, it would be the other way around. Which is interesting, though, because... In Ghostbusters 1 and 2, there wasn't any blonde bimbos. No, it's just... So, the fact that they decided to insert that, I mean, it's comedic in its own way. Right. It's also, that's not progressive. Why are we still going... Why would we have blonde bimbos at all being mentioned in films to begin with? Quality, everybody should be the same. Like, it, and it's a double standard to me where you have a Chris Hemsworth character that's being looked at as a piece of meat by Kristen Wick's character. And it seems like that's totally acceptable. If you did that to a woman now in a film... 
you're going to have an uproar. People are going to be really upset about it. Yeah, so see, I don't know why that's okay to do that to a man. This is why I had this listed in the negative section because I think this upset you a little more than it did me because the way I you read it. You didn't even bring it up. Yeah, no, exactly. The way I read it is that that was sort of a, you know, that was sort of the joke in and of itself is that they gender swapped it and like, look how silly this is when it's the man that's an idiot. And then the women are like, hey, as opposed to the other way around. So I didn't mind that because. because so you're, I, you're thinking it came from more of like. I mean, yeah, most likely it did come from more of like a comedic, comedic place instead of ooh, it, almost like, like a almost like a social commentary about the movies in general and how these kinds of movies usually work by flipping that. But what's the other? But what are the other social commentaries of this movie then? Well, I mean, that, that's the only one I could think of. Well, in the casting, I mean, in the casting of Chris Hemsworth, right? But I'm just mean that there's what are the other social commentaries of this movie? I mean, I guess it's Ghostbusters. It doesn't. It's not like mired in social commentary. Right. Well, that's why I didn't, you know, I thought it was interesting that they chose the blonde bimbo stereotype to insert in this film when the previous Ghostbusters didn't have it in there at all. Right. And a lot of people's issues with this movie are that every guy in this movie is either an idiot or an asshole. Like, there's no, think, think about it. There's no men in this movie that have two brain cells to put together. There's the mayor, there's an asshole, there's the the bad guy who's an asshole, there's Chris Hemsworth who's an idiot, and then there's the Chinese delivery guy who's Who an idiot. can't even get the order rights. Exactly. Even though they're like upstairs. It takes them an hour to get there still. Right. So that, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's an unfortunate side effect of just, you know, the way that Paul Feig uh, approached this project and wanted to make the women look so powerful that he, so powerful and good that he had to, that he felt like he had to make all the men around, around them incompetent well, let me and, ask you this. sort of uh, ill-intentioned. What movie has he done where the men are actually portrayed in a positive light? Uh, Chris O'Dowd's character in Bridesmaids. Okay, okay. Um, Jason Statham's character in, in Spy he was an idiot, though. He was all like, look at me. I mean, he was but he hilarious. wasn't an asshole. And he was, yes, he was. He was eh. an asshole. He was always, he was trying right. to always show. He was the, okay, so maybe Paul Feig's thing is making the men look like fools. And I think that's like, his thing. I don't have a. Even I'm, the heat, I'm a man. Even the heat. I'm a man, and I thought Justin, Jason Statham was the best part of that movie. I so. Well, yeah, you. Can I don't remember the in the heat. I don't remember the heat. Like, oh, uh, wasn't that the one where uh, Thomas F. Wilson, the guy from Back to the Future, wasn't he the, the boss? And he's like, "Look at me, I'm forty. I'm I'm thirty-seven years old, or whatever yeah. like that." Yeah, and they're all yeah, all the men in that movie are assholes or idiots. I guess if, if I remember correctly. I mean, is it is it sexist? Probably towards men. But I'm, I mean, I'm a white male and I don't mind, so I'll allow it. I know. It's whatever. Just, like, just gotta stop being sexist. Well, sexist I'm not saying, I'm not saying women. it's, I'm not saying that more of that, please. I'm not advocating for it. But at the same time, it didn't bother me or detract from this movie in any way. Well, so. as, as a white male, you've definitely had your advantages through exactly. the so of your life. So. Exactly. So if movies want to make fun of us or characters that are played by, you know, white male actors, if they if they get their humor out of that, that's fine. But that is the last. Mind. That is the last um, group that actually can be made fun of now. I guess, yeah. And that's why movies and TV are are latching onto that because it's you got to make fun of somebody. So why not? Why not a white man make them look stupid? Although you know now let's now is probably a good time to shift over into the positive stuff. Yes, I will say that even though Chris Hemsworth was. Pretty funny in this movie. I think Kate McKinnon was the clear standout. I agree. I feel like Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy were doing their Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy things. And therefore, there wasn't really anything particularly fresh or new in their performances, even though they were good, because they're very competent actresses and they're very funny. 
and you know, I didn't have any issue with them. In fact, I'm I, initially when I heard about the cast of this movie, my first thought was, well, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy—that's sort of the obvious thing. Like, if you're going to cast a funny woman in a movie, so if anything, I was more skeptical of, of you know, not having more imaginative casting decisions. Like, as I heard rumored. Emma Stone, I heard rumored Anna Ferris, I heard rumored Mindy Kaling, who I know you like now she was love mentioned, so much. And she even mentioned in her book, too, yeah. that she would love to have a reboot of, uh, this is in the trivia of IMDb as well, that she would have loved to see a reboot of Ghostbusters with her and then three other women. I think she even mentioned Tina Fey for her. Tina Fey would have been another good choice, What about too? Amy Schumer? Amy Schumer's been blowing up, and she's like the latest funny comedian. But ma- Amy Poehler, you can name like a bunch of funny women yeah. that would have worked for this. But I think that Amy Poehler and Tina Fey would have been more suitable, because it seemed like it's like more of an older group. Amy Schumer, Emma Stone, they're a little too young. Yeah, I mean, I guess that. To be, because these are all Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters also accomplished too. Yeah, in three their own out, way. Three out of the four of these female stars are in their 40s too. Um, which now makes me look ageist, the fact that I'm saying the young person's the best one, guys. Oh, but, that's but not she what was I the thought be- you were saying. I know, that's what it makes me sound like, though. But she was. I thought Kate McKinnon was the freshest voice in this movie. I We already mentioned earlier some of our issues with Leslie Jones and her performance. Even though she was fine, I didn't have issues with her. It did seem like her the portrayal there was a little, I don't know, a little lacking in depth. And, and uh, you know, a little underdeveloped. But Kate McKinnon was... You and know, that was more er- the fault of the writers. Right, yeah, yeah. That's what I that's why I don't Sorry, hold it against Yeah, that's why and Katie Dippold. That's why I don't hold it against Leslie Jones. Like it was nothing that she did that or didn't do that made this character not as successful. It's just the way that character was written. But as far as Kate McKinnon, I feel like she brought so much more to it than is actually even on the page. Because every scene she's doing a silly uh silly face or saying something really weird or dancing around to Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge, which now every time I hear that song, I'm going to think of that. Just like uh, Pocket Full of Sunshine always makes me think of EZA. Um, and, and, you know, to a certain extent, it was almost borderline distracting. Like it was, it all, you know, during the movie, it did kind of, it did kind of ring some bells for me, like be thinking that she's from SNL and this is her first like real big movie. So it's almost like she's acting like this is an SNL sketch. Like even though she, the camera's on the other people, like she's in front of, she feels like she's in front of a live studio audience a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and because of that, her, her performance was more heightened and over the top and made her seem even stranger by comparison. Right. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's her first film. And I think that she also well, went in there seeing this, feeling like she had a lot to prove. It's her first film in, in this capacity. She's been small roles here and there, but not like this. Not where she's on a poster right. and stuff. But she, basically, she's going to be a breakout star now because yeah. of this movie. Yeah, she is. She's gonna she's gonna blow up. And um, I now I know that now she's one of your favorite girls. Yeah, she is. She's under my protection. For. But yeah, I thought she I thought she was thought she was really good and funny. And I mean, I agree with you. It was almost it could have almost gone distracting, but it didn't. Yeah, and the chemistry between the four of them was really good in general. Like, I thought they all... I mean, we know Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig worked well together in Bridesmaids, so that's no, that's no big surprise. But the four of them just, like, gelled really well together. I believe that they were friends. I believe that they, you know, that they... I mean, they don't start as friends, but I believe that they had this common goal and they sort of worked together. And I don't know, that, that sort of worked like for me. they got a lot of fun oh, on make, set. Uh, making the movie, yeah, yeah, totally. And you could tell. You could tell that through, you know, their chemistry and just... And that's actually um, why I don't think the movie was necessarily funny per se. I think what the magic was about the film 
was the chemistry between all of them and how much fun they were having. And it, you know, kind of made me feel like I was having fun too, just watching it. So, um, you know, it's a, definitely, it has, it's a pass for the Bechdel test. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the good, great things about this movie is that there are four women in it and they're not talking about a man in every scene. And I don't think they are hardly ever, except for when they hire Kevin really. And, or Rowan, they're talking about taking him down or whatever. But there were a lot of scenes in this movie where it wasn't them talking about, you know, about men. And it definitely was very, there was hard, there was, nobody had a love interest or anything like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a romantic comedy of like, oh, there's women in it. So Even it's got to be all lovey-dovey. Even Ghostbusters, they did. Yeah, the, the previous, um, the first one or the second, well, both, both of, them, of them, I guess. Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver, yeah. Um, so it kind of had no choice but to pack, pass, pass the, no, that's a tongue twister, but to pass the Bechdel test, which unfortunately it'll probably be one of the only major movies this year, like major studio blockbuster type movies to do so because that is so rare. I mean, I saw a stat in a magazine recently that only eight out of the top 100 highest grossing, you know, domestic releases have women have sole female protagonists in the front, like headlining them. And four of them were Hunger Games movies. And then two of them were animated. And the other one was Gravity. I don't even remember what the last one was. So the fact that that's so rare and that this movie pulls off at least that aspect of it so well is definitely a triumph. Right. So I think that was good of the the screenwriters to want to make it with the chemistry with the women and pass, have it pass, pass the Bechdel test. And so that was that was good on that. And I st- I'd liked all the meta comments throughout the film of, you know, they put up these videos because they're, you know, we're in the YouTube generation. So, of course, in this movie, every time they're confronting a ghost, they're filming it and they're putting it up on YouTube. And like, look, we saw a ghost. Ghosts are real and that kind of thing. And all the comments are just like tearing them down. And, you know, I think Paul Feig has, has acknowledged in interviews, if I'm I'm not if I'm not speaking he out has. of my turn. OK, he's acknowledged that that was intended to be sort of, you know, about the reaction to the movie. Oh, oh, I well, actually, of, okay, I don't know about that. I just do know that he did, that he was um, asked for comment about people's response to all being female-led and how people were so upset about it. And he's just like, it's, I don't even remember what he said, but he did speak about that side of it. But I guess he, he probably, he's clearly has um, psychic ability because he knew what his pe- people were going to say well, when he's writing the script. This is the most dislike, you know how on, on YouTube you can like and dislike videos right this is like the most disliked video on youtube i think or or trailer and like it's up there thousands and thousands of people being like i hate fuck this shit and a lot of reviews as you were steven saying like oh the trailers are terrible and the trailers oh did God, look terrible so, but that so doesn't bad. mean the movie think, is yeah it's i think the problem with a lot of the reviews is that people literally went in there thinking it was going to be terrible and were just not going to change their mind yeah, pretty much. I think that's a big part of it. But the YouTube comments throughout make me really made me giggle, especially the first one, which lends this episode its title, Ain't No Bitches Gonna Hunt No Ghosts. In case you guys, obviously you could tell that we, we like this movie for the most part. That title is clearly not indicative of our opinion. That that really made me laugh. I was like, that's exactly what someone on the internet would say. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, there was that comment from Melissa McCarthy's character. She's like, you can't pay attention. To, you can't care what people write. Um, at night or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're, at night in their basement or whatever. Audience. Yeah. Yeah. We got a reaction. And actually, we had a very interactive audience. Yeah, they were really responding to it. I mean, yeah. granted, we saw this at a, a previous screening with a bunch of people that are seeing the movie for free. So, like, unless you show them, like, 
you know, someone on screen kicking puppies or something, they're going to they're going to applaud at the end and be like, this is amazing. But even so, they people were responding. Were, yeah, people were reacting like whenever, you know, with the YouTube comments, people were applauding. And um, there were some other other things that happened in the film that people behind us were like, yeah. And, and it was, was so cool because the people behind us in the theater was uh, a couple of, you know, parents. And then I think they had two little kids and they were talking about. The original movies, because I was only assumed that they recently introduced them to the original movies. So because of this movie, little kids now have an interest in Ghostbusters. They're going to seek out those old films. They're going to watch these new ones. Little girls can now look up and be like, look, I can be a Ghostbuster too. Exactly. That's what I was saying, that reboots are not for previous generations. They are designed for future, now, present, and future generations. And a lot of the uh, the combat scenes toward the end, the, uh, the action, I thought that was really neat. The, the, you know what I'm talking about? The ghosts are invading the city. Oh yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. Well, and all the and all the devices and them fighting and Kate McKinnon has her moment there to kind of shine. And I don't know. I told you this, and I'm just gonna say it here. I don't know something about that moment with her with them fighting the ghosts. It was the Kate McKinnon moment specifically, and the music kind of took me right back to being a little kid and watching the original movies. And I got a little I got a little touched. I got a little choked up. You know, something that I love so much. Coming back, whatever form, men, women, who cares? I don't really care about that. But coming back and like starting over and like being brought back in such a major way into the spotlight, that really hit me in a, in a lot, you know, in the heart. And uh, later on, when the, towards the very end of the movie, when they're looking at looking out of the city and all the like, other people are like have are saying from the sides of their buildings that we love Ghostbusters, thank you Ghostbusters, whatever, all that stuff. I thought that was yeah. great. That was really moving. And the fact that the whole crux of the film emotionally hinges on the friendship between Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy's characters, I thought really worked. Where she leaps into that other dimension to save her friend and and stuff. I thought that really worked, especially since the movie starts with that friendship being fractured. And then by the end, you know, the the over the course of the film, them fighting ghosts together and solving this mystery, they sort of reignite that friendship. And she's like willing to like sacrifice herself to save her friend. I thought that was really powerful. The friendship between two women, which you don't see on screen like that unless it's a romantic comedy. And they, and she has a friend who she wants to talk like Meg Ryan has a friend she wants to talk to about Tom Hanks and that kind of shit. Right. Yeah. No, like that was that was a good scene. And it, you know, with all the technology and everything, it leaves a lot of room for the franchise to grow going forward. Right. And I like that Kate McKenna's character was the kind of like the scientist behind all of it. I mean, even with, though the yeah, two others the were scientists too, but she was one of the, she was like the electron particle expert or something. And uh, so I like that she was the, she was kind of like the genius, but also a wacky. Well, genius. she was sort of, she's sort of like a mad scientist type of vibe to her. Which yeah. made her even fun, even more fun to watch. And I agree with you. She's going to be a huge star after this. We're going to hear, like, you know, in the next couple of weeks, Kate McKinnon, like, joining all these projects because everybody's, like, wants to work with her. But that's also, I kind of feel like what happened with Kristen Wiig when after she wrote, Bridesmaids. After Bridesmaids. Yeah. Because she was in films before that, but Bridesmaids, boom. She well, was... even more than Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy got an Oscar nomination for that. Yeah. That's a comedy. You never get Oscar nominations and for comedy. I didn't comedies. know who she was. I know that she was. I'd like, heard of her because of that Mike and Molly show, I didn't even but that's know... about it. She looks so different, though, in Bridesmaids than she did in Mike and Molly. Yeah. So, and also she's Jenny McCarthy's cousin, in case you all didn't know that. Hence the name. Um. Yeah. So, sometimes comedies can either be your breakout or break you. So, I'm, I I hope to see that. Well, Paul Feig has, for the, for the most part, has done, has really kind of brought some actors into the spotlight in big ways. As you mentioned with Bridesmaids. And then I feel Look like... Look what happened with Rose Byrne, too, from Bridesmaids. 
Yeah, well, I feel like Spy actually gave her more to work with comedically. I feel like Spy, yeah, Spy is a Melissa McCarthy movie, but I feel like it was really Jason Statham and Rose Byrne that were like, look at how awesome these two people are. You know what I mean? And for Ghostbusters, I feel like that was Kate McKinnon's moment. Maybe Leslie Jones to a lesser extent because mainstream audiences might not be as familiar with her, but I feel like it was really, hey, look at these people, look how great they are. Put them in more stuff. And I'm sure Paul Feig will... I mean, I like to think he'd come back for a sequel, but we'll get to, uh, we'll talk about, you know, where we want to see the franchise go in a second. So, this, did the special effects work for you as far as, you know, remaining true to the original look, but then sort of modernizing it for the, you know, CG era? Because yeah, those, I think those so. were a lot of stop motion and that kind of thing back in the day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, we actually saw a scene to one, uh, one of the Ghostbusters today, I think, with Slimer. And he he looks so different in those movies compared to this movie that, yeah, the CG has come a long way. Well, well, CG wasn't even around. The effects have come a really long way since since then. And, yeah, it looks a little cheesy in some parts. You know, okay, like in the beginning where they have the green is breaking out from the floor. It looks kind of of cheesy. But it worked for me. And I think that they made made the ghost actually scarier than the one to the first one. Yeah, uh, I will say that I think, I think that um, one of the best uses of special effects was actually in that mannequin sequence. Oh yeah, one of the best and creepiest and most surprising because you were you know Ghostbuster movies you're used to seeing the ghost be like this giant dragon thing and they go and or and, Slimer you know this giant blob of whatever with little arms and they changed the way the ghosts function like the ghosts didn't really go through stuff they were on they went on stuff so like in the first. Well, they Origin- went through stuff in the in the originals. No, what I mean is, is like well, you know when um, Winston's in the subway, it, subway tunnel, and the subway goes like right through him. Oh, okay. Compared to now, you know, like with the character with the ghost on the that was in the subway too, subway tunnel, it went on the train. It didn't go through the train, and it didn't go through people. It well, went, again, it went in them. The rules of the them. Ghostbuster franchise have always been sort of loose. Like, you know, there's no set of, there's no way to, to put together, like, you know, a uh, an encyclopedia of, like, this is the rule, this is how Ghostbusters, this is how the world of Ghostbusters works. Because there isn't, no, there isn't one. There's They pretty much sort of play it by ear and whatever happens, happens. Which goes back to your point earlier about Rowan's powers just sort of being, like, manifesting out of nowhere and for some reason he can shapeshift and all this stuff it's different because then ghostbusters one you know that was clear callback to ghostbusters one and gozer you know taking the form of the stay puffed marshmallow man right yes and then you have other you know then you have it where ghosts are going through people instead of necessarily possessing them right and that's possession possession that's kind of more of a demon it's also nine tenths of the law it's yeah so they say. Yeah, so there was a lot more possession in this movie than the previous ones. But they wanted to do a different spin on it, so. Yeah. And I did I I wanted to point out before we moved on, you know, to the to the final battle with Rowan, I wanted to point out that I did love the whole mannequin sequence gave Leslie Jones one of the best movie uh, lines in the movie, which I'd forgotten until I read somewhere else, where she sees the room of all the like mannequins and she's like, "Oh, room full of nightmares." Yeah, I'm not going in there. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was a good hilarious. Line. So she did have some, you know, we were saying earlier about how she's not necessarily like the standout, but she did have some really great moments in there um, that did make me want to see her and stuff. And I mean, it's not—I'm not saying she's terrible and she should 
get her out of this franchise. She was good. I just, I need more from her. Like, you sold me on Kate McKinnon. The other two, of course, we already love in everything. Well, not everything, but like Paul Feig movies at least. Um, so I need a little more Leslie Jones to really get 100% behind that character. Um, but I had an interesting thought regarding, you know, Rowan turning into the logo and then like sort of a perverse version of the logo. And I'm not 100% uh, supportive of the idea that, okay, the first movie ended with a giant character that's like all white storming the city and then they take him down and then they do this they basically like exact same thing here. there were a lot of slimmer similarities definitely yeah that definitely. i was sort of, I, that sort of annoyed me that was a little bit of one of the nostalgic nods i was like okay come on seriously oh and then wait, no and i actually just thought of this so the ghostbusters logo gets all big and scary and then his face burns on the side that makes me think of a marshmallow yeah. going on a s'more. Yeah, I know. I thought that too. They do that to Stay Puft. They burn part of him. Oh, the... I don't. Re- oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, and uh, so I don't. I don't like that idea. I just hope that it is a little bit like The Force Awakens, where you know they're relaunching this brand, and so they're like, "All right, we know this is sort of like the the, the Death Star, but we're just bringing it back, and then from this point on, we'll go somewhere new." So I, that's actually a really fair analogy. Because of that, I'm I'm cutting Paul Feig some slack. I'm like, "All right, you know, I love Force Awakens, so I can't be like they can do it, but you can't because that's not fair." Right, and I think that in a way that those Paul Feig and J.J. Abrams did that just so you can get more brought into 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 loving those films and then try to kind of start over. And didn't right. Star Trek, didn't Star Trek uh, in 2009 do something kind of similar to? 2009 didn't have as many of those blatant like rehashes. I feel like Into Darkness had way more of those. I mean, with the point with the con and all that stuff. Yeah. So, okay. Well, which I wasn't don't... a switch, you know, and they, that was the second one. They didn't really need to do that at that point. I feel like that was a little silly. And that one gets, is a little more, worthy of criticism because they already successfully relaunched it it's not like they were using those elements to you know to draw in audiences old and new for this new version they already done that and yet they still i don't know didn't want to come up with anything new so they just reversed the you know the climactic moment in in the wrath of khan for their version but i i did think that it was interesting how rowan turns into the logo right Right. And then the logo gets all big and scary and starts storming the city. And I don't know, I sort of like the poetry of that being symbolic of Paul Feig and his Lady Ghostbusters. And that's not, I'm not being sexist when I say that, because clearly I like this movie. Um, battling, almost like symbolic of them battling the past. Like battling the old films and being like, we could stand on our own. Because they're literally fighting with the logo from the original movies. Then you know what? Maybe that is what the whole purpose of I don't know was. if I'm reading too much into it or what, but I, I liked I for me, that's how I sold myself on the idea of being okay with Rowan turning into this the logo, basically. I think you're right. I think that's actually a really good point. And I mean, they were already copying all these things from the original from the first two Ghostbusters. So I do think it was all intentional to try to welcome welcome a whole new fan base. And the older fan base. Right, like I was saying, right. like Force Awakens did the exact same thing. Force Awakens has so many similarities to A New Hope that it is sort of quasi-remake slash reboot slash sequel. So I guess my issue with this movie is I don't mind so much the reboot and remake elements. I just wish they had also thrown in some sequel elements and acknowledged that that other stuff had happened. Right. That yes. was my issue. But what did? But didn't you have a theory? I did. I didn't have a theory. It's, it's something that I... I wanted to, I, I was just thought of yesterday and was throwing it out there on Twitter. I would love it if, 
in the sequel to this, <clears throat> in the sequel to this, the ladies find out that the Ghostbuster has Ghostbusters have existed in alternate dimensions, just like across the board. Like there's, you know, you, you if you take the whole multiverse theory, that there's all these parallel dimensions where you know things things could be either slightly different or radically different. But I like the idea that in all the parallel dimensions, there are some form of Ghostbusters and that the ghosts consistently face the Ghostbusters. And it's like sort of like a mortal battle of good and evil that's destined to continue on and on throughout eternity and all, you know, all the different parallel dimensions. And I wouldn't require the, the original cast to come back again in their same roles or any of that. I would just like a little like tease that Ghostbusters have existed elsewhere. And then, you know, they form this whole production company of Ghost Corps to make a shared Ghostbusters universe. Then you can make all these Ghostbusters movies. They don't have to be related. They don't have to maintain any mythology. It doesn't have to be like the Marvel thing where you're building up to something. They could just be different versions of Ghostbusters that are, ex are existing on par on parallel dimensions. They don't have to be origin stories. They could just be. And... You know, sort of take it from there, different characters being Ghostbusters. Almost like, imagine, imagine an initial team of Ghostbusters just, and if I'm, if, I think this was an early version of Ghostbusters 3. And then just, they just like open the, they start the Ghostbusters franchise, um, or they start the Ghostbusters team, and then they franchise it out. So that then there's Ghostbusters teams all over, there's different Ghostbusters divisions. Sort of like that, but across dimensions as opposed to cities. Or states, or countries, or whatever. Okay. I really like that idea, so I I think that would be a good way to do that without feeling like oh we have to reference this other one. Well, does it count stuff. that this film wasn't even wasn't even actually filmed in New York? Yeah, some people are pissed Boston. about some people are pissed about that, and some people are annoyed that in the movie I think I guess they have Papa John's pizza at one point. I didn't even notice that, and the whole critique that what real New Yorker orders Papa John's pizza? They're, you order from like the pizza place. That didn't the even look like legit. Papa John. It looks I, like, I didn't a, like even, a ripoff Papa John. If That's that happened, I, I didn't even notice that. I guess I didn't notice that because I don't. I was looking at the. I was paying attention to the movie, and it totally went over my head. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a valid concern. You know, I was I was born in Jersey, so I, I yeah nobody in in New York orders like chain pizza unless they have no other option really. Um, but I before we go and start wrapping it up, I just wanted to throw out there. I really loved the Harold Ramis bust that's visible. Um, Early on in the film, in the university where Kristen Wiig is working, just right outside the office, there was a bust of Harold Ramis, who, you know, in the film could be a professor or the founder of the university or whatever, doesn't matter. The fact that there was that little bit of visual iconography to acknowledge his passing. So you're okay with that cameo? Yeah, that okay, because it was silent and it was respectful and they wanted to acknowledge, they wanted, I guess it's almost like they wanted to acknowledge the complete set of Ghostbusters. But he sadly passed away before the movie was made, so it was a way of of kind of giving him uh, giving him props without you know without it being distracting and having him play a cab driver being like I ain't afraid of no ghosts and driving mm -hmm. off like Dan Aykroyd did. Um, and they did say at the end you know for Harold and everything, and I thought that was really sweet. And actually, when the bus showed up, people were applauding. Like people saw that and they applauded because they were thought that was really you know that that was moving um, for me and you know for everybody else I guess. So. For you, since I know the answer sort of to this, how did this rank with the first two movies to sort of wind things down? Well, it's hard because they are all different films. This film is different than the first one, even though it got a lot of the same thing. But um, 
I, I mean, I like this one a lot, but yeah, I think the original Ghostbusters is still better. And yeah, it is. And my personal preference is still the second one because that's one I grew up on. That's your nostalgic favorite. That's which my is nostalgic so, favorite. Which is funny that of all the you know all the people going in this are like, don't touch that original Ghostbusters, and you're like, you better leave Ghostbusters two alone. <laughs> you're the one person saying that. And then in the honest trailer, they had that great part about like all these people worried about the Ghostbusters reboot. That's going to ruin the franchise. I totally forgot about the movie. That already ruined the franchise. <laughs> yeah, they did everything the same as the first one. Pretty much. And I told you, I rewatched both of them recently. And I was like, wow, first one totally holds up. The effects are a little dated in some of the moments with, like, you know, the hell dogs. And it looks really badly, like, stop motion-y. Um, not in a cool way. I mean, like, in a sad way where you're like, wow, that's that. I guess that was good at the time. Um, and then I rewatched the second one. I was like, wow, this is not good at all. Like, it's not bad. I think I, I think right now I do have a 3.5 for that on Letterboxd as well, but that's a weaker 3.5 because this is, this is, this is to me a stronger movie. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how people react to it. I mean, I'm sure the people that went in being like, this is going to suck. This is going to suck. Cross their arms, watch the movie. They're like, this sucks. But I mean, if you compare this to something more something more recent than Ghostbusters that has a similar team-based fantasy sci-fi vibe, this is like leagues better than Pixels or something like that. Oh, that was a yeah. fucking mess. I thought this was actually really fun. Did it have its flaws? Yeah. But the cast made it work. There were enough jokes in here that were fun. There was a lot of room for the franchise to develop in the future. And you know, I've told you that my dream sequel would be like a really diverse team of six people since especially now that they've done this and they were now uh, introduced some of these characters the avengers movies have proved that you can do a six person ensemble really well six person team and just make it super diverse men women straight gay black white hispanic asian throw all that stuff in there i think that would be if you really want to avoid all the sexism and show that you're progressive they would have had they would have had a co-ed team, a mixed race, mixed sexual orientation all together. I mean, the fact is, Mighty Morphin Power did that 20 years ago. That's true. What's up with Ghostbusters? And they're doing it again. With yeah. The, with the reboot. See, Mighty Morphin Power. Another reboot, which I'll be on the podcast to bitch about or praise, depending. I'm open-minded well, about that. Well, it's not that. like the first... The well, the, well, that good anyway. well, not the first movie. I mean, the show was fun for what it was, at least, you know, early. For what it is. It, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, Ghostbusters, if we're not comparing Ghostbusters to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie because Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie, even though I saw it on my 12th birthday and was super excited and had the toys and had the DVD sitting upstairs, that's kind of a shitty movie, though. I mean, you know, all things considered. Um, so that would be my dream sort of sequel slash new, you know, to, where I'd like to see the Ghostbusters franchise go. Well, you're putting it out there, so you know, maybe Fall Feig... Well, I, I tweeted the alternate dimension idea, and I tagged him in it, so maybe he'll be like, all right, I'll hold on to That's a good idea. And not, you know, write it down in his notebook. I don't want any royalties or anything. I just want to see it happen. Because I think if you want to quiet down the people out there that are pissed off that this erased those movies, you reveal that, no, maybe this movie didn't erase those movies. Shut the fuck up. It's a sci- it's, it's fantasy. They can do whatever the hell they want. You know? True. So, any other thoughts on Ghostbusters? Recommend it from us, basically. I recommend you can it. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's fun. It's not it's the fun best. for families. It's too. not the best Ghostbusters movie. It's not the best movie this year, but it's a solid movie, and there's way shittier movies out there. I mean, we talked earlier about Mike and Dave New Wedding Dates, Secret Life of Pets. Both both were spared the, the crap that this movie is getting. Uh, granted, those aren't franchises, but still. And this is actually way better than both of those movies. I think it's we really would both say, so it right? might become a franchise. Though. Oh, well, yeah, unfortunately. So. $100 million at the box office tends to do that. So, I mean, I think that sort of rounds out this one. 
I, I think so. Uh, as I said, next episode, I'm going to talk about best and worst for me from 2016. It'll probably, I mean, thus far, it'll probably be a solo show, just me doing my thing. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm toying around with the idea of doing a sort of a bonus, like, half-hour episode on Swiss Army Man, which I just saw because, uh, man, I got things to say, guys. We got to, I got to communicate to somebody. And, you know, some of you have probably seen it, so maybe you can give me some feedback. Do you have any interest in seeing Swiss Army Man? No. It's too weird, right? You don't even know much about it. It looks weird. It's weird. It's really weird. But actually, I kind of liked it, which was strange. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe I'll get onto that in a future episode. But as you know, for now, you can you can find uh, reviews, podcasts, videos, and other movie related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. You can follow me on Twitter at CrookedTable, and you can follow me at the Vault Key LLC. Go ahead and give us a like on Facebook. You know, let us know what you thought of this episode or Ghostbusters. Was it worthy of all the shit that was flung its way like a monkey at the zoo? Or was it actually a pretty fun summer, summer blockbuster and people need to chill the fuck out? Clearly, my, my profanity kind of reveals which way I land on it. But send me a tweet. Let me know what you think. I'm really curious to hear uh, your responses, especially on this movie, um, considering how divisive it was. But uh, until then, oh, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.